Materials are changing all the time. And I think it really got ramped up with the introduction of uh, digital media. It was a tough learning curve for some, even myself included. You have to get better, adopt, adapt, or die. You know, you have to move forward. You may be able to hear in the background there's a the printer purring away on a, on a two-day print. I've been um, working on some molds and they sent me some mm -hmm. STL files so I'm printing those and um, yeah so I done one on my Mono X and it pretty much filled the entire bed so it's the biggest thing I printed on that it took 36 hours I went for 25 microns so I went for a nice wow. thin layer it was pretty cool but uh, it it's kind of well. beautiful it did it, the trouble is the, uh, the, the you know the curing station is too small for it <laughs> I've, I've, I've bought myself a, a, a lamp a standalone lamp and I can just you know put some foil into a box and blast bigger things because it's it's kind of pointless trying to do it in that thing i've tried but it just yeah. takes a long time <laughs> so uh so i'm gonna have to build a box for it well sunshine works well and though if it's it's the uk there's not a whole lot of sunshine. no there isn't <laughs> i'm gonna put it outside i think for for a couple of days while i'm printing the core which is too big for that printer entirely i want to do one piece i'm doing that on my crs uh, cl10s so i've got a uvc lamp that i, I picked up for uh, for COVID stuff that, you know, sanitizes things, and, and that works well for curing. Excellent. Well, that's cool. I should try that. And it's a, it's a big lamp, so yeah, a, a box with foil will work yeah. great. Okay, well, I'll try that and see how that works out. That's good. But it's interesting working with, you know, resin prints, because obviously a lot of those m materials, they're optimized for the act of printing, not necessarily what you're going to use them for. So um, we'll see if they work, but they're just for test things, so we'll fingers crossed you got to try these things to find out. But what's good is, you know, they're printing while I'm doing other yeah. things. It's not like I'm sat there drumming my fingers waiting for them. So I've got plenty to get on with. No, that's one of the beautiful things about it. It allows for multitasking. It does. So, Todd, you're now back in England. We haven't spoken, really, since you've been back. It's been a week, just uh, just over a week. Yeah, I can't. It's it's it's, it's weird. I'm, I'm having a UK withdrawal. Are you really? I miss you guys. <laughs> oh, man, we had so much fun. Yeah. It's, it's hard to believe it's been a, I've been home a week already. I know. Mad, isn't it? Yeah, we yeah. we had a good time, and uh, did you, you took some tea bags back, so I guess maybe you got those to kind of wean you off and gradually taper, taper off your UK habit. Yeah, well, I've I've been drinking a lot of tea since I've been back. That's awesome. Well, so it's good. I have too. This is my first whiskey for for a long time. Got some some Jack Daniels there. Mm, looks yummy. Mm. It feels like a Saturday instead of a Friday. It does. It's, it's weird, weird, isn't weird. it? It's been a mad week. So um, so I went away to Norway for a couple of days this week. I came back on Wednesday morning. So on, on the evening that I travel, uh, I hear obviously the regulations have changed. I'm not sure, exactly sure when things are going to be enforced. So I go onto the government website to figure out how to get back safely and, you know, all the paperwork you have to do in advance. And the, the website said, you know, they were updating the website, come back tomorrow kind of thing. It's like that recent. Mm -hmm. So uh, so I come back the next day and I fill out my paperwork. It takes me an hour to fill out a passionate locator form and um, uh, find the COVID test and book that, which, you know, n not because I can't do it, but because the amount yeah. of faffage and you have to like organize, you have to, you have to get an account with this third party company that, that actually sends you the results. And in order to activate that thing, they need to send you a text message. I can't receive text messages while I'm overseas on my phone. 
So it would, it just, you know, it was a lot of faffing around. Yeah, it's, it's ludicrous. ludicrous. So I've done all that, and I, I've, I've, I've got my test, and they give you when you, when you book your test, they list all the supplies. You tell them the region that you're in. So I ordered that, got that all done, done. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And what's happened is basically today's the day I'm supposed to take the test. I still haven't gotten the test. I got an email sent last night saying that they're processing my order. So basically what's happening is, and I'm sure this is just a fucking racket. So I have to stay home. Yeah. I'm supposed to quarantine and, until I get my negative test result. But they haven't sent me the test on time. But they sent me a message last night to tell me they're processing it. I fucking bought it a week ago, you know, Monday. It's now Friday. Yeah. And they haven't sent it yet. So it's like basically what's happening is you're basically taking on tests that you know that you can't fulfill. You already know you're not being able to ship them out on time, but you're still taking my money knowing full well that I'll be past my day to time. I mean, it's just fucking nonsense. It really is. Agreed. I'm not Agreed. saying I don't want to do the right yeah. thing. I'm saying I'm doing the right thing and I'm being punished for doing the right thing. It's fucking annoying. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm on the same page. You know, it's like if you can't fulfill it, if you if you know you can't deliver those on time, then don't accept the money. (laughs) You know, it's it's infuriating. Um, So that's annoying. I mean, it so happens I've got a shitload of stuff to do here anyway, so I'm fine. But uh, it's just annoying if I want to pop out and get something I can't. You know. Anyway, I'm not going to complain about that. (sighs) I've got my whiskey now, so I'm all good. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what we're uh, uh, this this episode is, which is Jake Garber. This chat that we had with Jake Garber. Uh, at the prosthetics yeah, event, great chat. It was really good fun, wasn't it? Really nice guy. Yeah. I was, I was nervous. Back room. It was. I was, I was nervous because, because uh, he's a very, um, you know, he's been doing a lot of stuff for a long time, so he's a significant person to talk to, and I want to, you know, I'm keen to not come across like a bell end in front of him, but also you're doing that in front of a crowd, um, <laughs> so you know, it matters to me what he thinks of me, and it matters to me that what we do went well, and honestly, it was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. No, he's a class act. He's a, he's a great guy. And he's a wealth of knowledge. I mean, he's he's done everything. I think that's the thing, and the ease with which he relays this stuff to people is is, is it's heartwarming, but it's just useful. It's just fucking good, useful information as well. Yeah, I'm hoping that that everybody was that was in the room was taking notes, or will at least be able to listen to the podcast because the information was worth worth the price of admission. You know, beyond beyond the price of admission, it was a, a hell of a talk and. I learned a lot. Yeah. Well, I like to. He's very frank as well. He just sort of says things as they are. He doesn't sort of sugarcoat anything. But um, but he's also, you know, um, encouraging with it. It's, it's a, a, a fascinating mix. So here's Jake. So let's, let's get the show started. Welcome, everybody. I feel tired. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Jake Garvin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel soon to be knighted by the Queen. <laughs> we've known each other for several years, but uh, it's been a few since we've seen each other. Probably as you cross paths with you at like the, you know, some conventions and the like in Los Angeles. Yeah, it was, a, it was an IMATS a few years back, yeah. before the yeah. pandemic. Yeah, yeah, before the world changed. So, yeah. well, I guess we'll probably take questions from people who've got questions, but we, there's a few things we wanted to talk about that we think would be a good direction to go in, if you're happy. Um, you had some questions, so you were talking about like, the distinction between being a, a, an on-set supervisor versus being a department head versus being a makeup key, and then what it's like making the transition from essentially, I, I don't want to say, I, I'm not saying this derogatory, but being a shop monkey um, mm-hmm. and to being on set because it's, it's, a, it's, an, 
it's a very different mindset yeah as we well as skill, as well as skill yeah. set yeah um, it is it is different again I'm, I'm forgive me I'm not entirely tuned in on the UK uh, you know way to get in and all that stuff um, in the states there's unions that you need to get in to work on some of the bigger budget stuff and you can it depends on the state that you're in obviously um, but a lot of like in my path I started out in Minneapolis doing regular beauty makeup and corrective stuff the you know a regular makeup working makeup artist because I wasn't going to make a living doing prosthetic work up there and did about five years of that and kind of got to a point where this is about as good as it'll get and I moved out to Los Angeles in 89 and was not um, in the union then, so I started working in shops. And one of the good things about starting where I did in Minnesota, which was a void, there was no real um, resources to kind of, you know, get stuff. You had to hunt it down, and now you guys have it easy where you can, I would say you have it easy, but the resources are available to get products, you can go on YouTube and probably find a half a dozen or so tutorials on how to do a bald cap or put a lace beard on or something like that. So, in my instance, I kind of had to learn it on my own or read it from books. because yeah, so, at that time there really wasn't a school you could go to. to no, not, not really. There were a couple of them that were kind of branching out. Blasco's kind of had started about that point, but there really wasn't any sort of formal education as far as makeup, uh, especially like film makeup. Um, they used to have an intern program in the studios in Los Angeles early on, but that is, that's been long gone for years now. Um, but one of the perks for me was that I had to know how to do everything before I even moved to Los Angeles. I had to know how to sculpt, I had to know how to you know, make molds, I had to know how to run pieces, I had to know how to do hair work, I had to know how to apply. Because I didn't have anybody else that I could turn to. And that was a huge asset. Because when I went into the, the labs, um, I've, some of you have heard me say this in the past, it's like the more you can do, the more you get to do. And um, if, you're, if you want to go in and specialize per se, well, that's all well and good, but that's all they're going to think of you as. And you're not going to be a well-rounded makeup artist, in my opinion. Um, there are some people that strictly like to do lab work. That's all they want to do. Uh, the hours can be a little bit more regular. Um, they can be long, but if you're on a film set, it's... It's very, um, your life is taken away from you. you well, know, you're the yeah. first one there, last one to leave. Last one there, your, your time, you know, your, your call times are changing all the time. You might work something we call Fridays, where you end up starting Friday late afternoon, you go until Saturday morning. Then you have to start Monday morning or, you know, very early as well. So it's, it's definitely not a glamorous lifestyle that, you know, you would think it's, you know, champagne and premieres and hanging out with actors. You occasionally get those perks at some point, but it's a very small percentage of it right there. Um, so I ended up uh, going out to Los Angeles and had established myself as a pretty good lab guy and lab supervisor. And I started doing that for a couple of shops, like Mike Burnett, subsequently ran Patrick Tatopoulos' shop for a number of shows. And I left Patrick's for no reason other than he was starting to focus more on production design and for self-preservation and what I wanted to do, I decided to branch out and I was being courted by a number of the shops to run their facility for them, like Steve Johnson and K&B and uh, Optic Nerve and I just didn't really want to do that sort of supervision so I wanted to segue into supervising or running projects that would you know take it to location so I'd be involved in the shops a little bit 
to kind of determine or uh, say this is what we would need for it and then just go to location and then facilitate it from that point on. And yeah, kind of so as, as the shop supervisor, were you involved with the budgeting process? What what exactly does that entail? Yeah, it depends on where you're at. Like at Mike Burnett's, I wasn't, but at Patrick's, I definitely was. Um, and we handled some pretty big projects. Not not all of them were great, but we did Stargate and Independence Day and uh, that Godzilla one with uh, Matthew Broderick in and all that. And it was well beyond our sort of means, but you really can't let that limit you too much. To me, I just looked at it as we were sculpting a prosthetic nose, making a mold of it, running it, except we were going to do a Godzilla creature. It's like the, the, the techniques are the same, they're just a little bit more expanded. Um, and either that or I was too young and too stupid to realize what I was getting into. But um, <laughs> yeah, but we had a budget, I think, of about $10 million for that thing. And, uh, you know, it didn't sink the sink the company so um but yeah that one is more you know some people can get if you want to do the actual makeup work itself you probably don't want to get into sort of um hod or department head situation because you're the one that's always going to get called into meetings or um there may be an issue on set that has to be discussed so you have to have a good support team to handle the makeups themselves so, like when I was on Walking Dead, I was on it for the first eight seasons. Towards the last few years of it, I rarely did, uh, personally, uh, a hero makeup, one of the main ones right there. I'd sneak them in when I could, but I was uh, in an episodic world. You're always thinking about one you're shooting, one you're about to shoot, and one that you have, you know, way coming up. So you have a lot of things going on in your heads, and you have meetings for all of those potential shows, all those, all those episodes. So I couldn't commit to, you know, a two-hour job on there. I'd help some people out on them. And if I knew there wasn't going to be a meeting for the day, I could tackle one. But I usually had to delegate it to somebody else. And that's one of the biggest words when you get into supervising is delegating. Um, you can't do it all yourself. Yeah, don't even try. That's hard for some people to do. Uh, it's very difficult for some people to do because there's a lot of people, myself included, that say, well, I know exactly how I want to do this. I know the route that I want to do. I know how long it would take me to do it, but you can't. You're just going to burn yourself out real fast, um, especially when you're doing, again, long-run productions. Epis, like Walking Dead ran seven months out of the year, um, and you have to pace yourself. You can't, you can't burn out right out of the gate or you're not going to last. Um, so you do have to learn that and, you know, maybe be patient with some people and just give them an opportunity to you know to prove themselves on certain levels but well, it's um, kind of yeah. like a director giving an actor a line read yeah and yeah. so like, it's like well, why the hell did you hire me yeah if you're gonna tell me how to say it yeah well and sometimes you you know you want to give everybody the liberty to create and do their own thing but um sometimes you've got to guide them into the parameters that have been established for the show um, it's not a free-for-all as far as like certain types of blood. We had a very limited palette that we would use on walkers for that show. And we really didn't want to go much beyond that. And the other thing that you have to do is you have to learn how to budget your time when you're doing the applications. Because everybody that's starting out, they're doing some rather elaborate stuff in their portfolios and it can look fantastic. And you may have taken five, six hours to apply it during the day. Now that's great when you're starting out and doing stuff for your own personal portfolio stuff. But when you get onto a production, you will not have that sort of time. So once you've started to 
you know, done those longer makeups, then you start to challenge yourself and say, let me see if I can do the same thing in three and a half hours or two hours. And you're not sacrificing the look, you're trying to find shortcuts that can get you to that end and still have it last for the day. Yeah, and shooting in Georgia, that's a huge challenge. Oh, getting, yeah. getting pieces to stay on in that humidity and the heat. Sure, anytime you're dealing with any sort of extremes, whether you're doing water work, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, high temperature, high humidity, al uh, actors that are drinkers because they expire alcohol and that's not good for glue down. So you kind of got to know their proclivities um, and maybe hopefully they'll stave off a little bit, save it for Friday nights, but it doesn't always happen. Um, but uh, yeah, you kind of know how to maintain it. Some people start to get flushed during the day, so you have to alter the color as you go. Um, yeah, some people have reactions to certain things. Um, some actors that are, are not good with latex at all and have legitimate allergies to it. Others have spirit gum issues. Um, and unfortunately, you sometimes don't find that out until the day that you're doing it. And, um, you know, there it is. So it's kind of, kind of a, what, do you have a go-to adhesive that you prefer? It honestly, it's 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 different and varies for every every person and everybody. I think I tend to lean towards Prosade a little bit more on stuff. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with because the silicone-based adhesives are are changing all the time. It used to be you could rely on Telesis Five to do it. Then they don't have that now. They've got eight, which is close, but not exactly the same or you might have um, you know syllabon or all, there's all sorts of options there but there's little nuances that when you're doing them can either be a great benefit or a huge pain in the ass um, prosade for me is something that's kind of consistent it's about as uh, to me it's user friendly it's um, it's tough to work with and that you can't just you know, put prosade on somebody's skin and just put the piece on there and then, you know, hope it stays there because it's slippery until it dries. So if you do it, you know, what I do is I usually put it on there, wait for it to go clear. And, and it's only from uh, experience that you know when to put it down, because if you put it down wrong, it's not going to come up too easy. You got to flood it with alcohol. It's a problem and all that. Um, plus, it tends to be a little bit more durable in some extreme situations. Um, silicone ones, silicone adhesives tend to slip a little bit depending on the environment and all that stuff, but it depends. I mean, I, I use Telesis for a ton of stuff. Um, I use Spirit Gun for a lot of stuff. I use Super Baldies to glue down stuff. Uh, it all depends on the, the tool needed for that job. So you're looking at a lot of foam for the Walking Dead stuff, or these foam hands are looking Yeah, they were trying to do silicone initially, but I kind of nixed it because um, with silicone, if somebody is sweating under an appliance, it won't absorb into the appliance and it will find its way out. And it's usually like, if, let's say you're doing a forehead piece. It'll come out here, off to the side there, and that's where they'll start sweating, will come out there. Now, to try to prevent that from happening again is really hard because even as a makeup artist or an effects artist, you have to know a little bit about physics. There's something called hydraulics. So if you've got water under there, it will find a way out no I've matter what you do. streams of water It'll squirt out, it'll run out of here and all that. And then to try to dry that up sufficiently 
to get that to glue back down again can, is really difficult. So for Walking Dead, where we didn't have to rely on the translucency of the material, um, and we could do foam latex and it can go on very quickly. It's easier to manipulate on a generic face rather than like a silicone, which doesn't tend to compress. Or if you stretch it too much to fit, now you've got that tension on there, which will now start to cause uh, issues on edges where they start to pull away and all that. So um, in that environment, I, I maintain that if you do something like, you know, battle injuries or yeah, stuff where you're going to cover it with blood and all that stuff, sometimes it's just easy to do foam latex and get it on there and you got a chance of fighting it at least during the filming process. If you put on a silicone appliance on some people and you put certain types of blood on it, you'll, you'll notice it'll beat up on it, which really it's a pet peeve of mine. I see it and it just never looks quite right. And it's um, There's ways that you can put some sealers on top of it and certain types of uh, bloods that will roll a little bit better on it. But once it goes on to silicone, it just kind of beads up and looks like blood sweat almost. Um, with foam latex, it tends to run run a little bit better, but you know, it depends on the blood you're using as well. Yeah, no, it's nice to hear, because I really like foam. I was brought up on foam, and yeah. so it's great, and it's nice to hear, it still yeah. gets used a lot, and you will get people ask me, like, do people still use foam? I'm like, yeah, been looking at it all the time, and you just didn't know it was making foam. a better resurgence. Well, and the other thing, too, that I, I would really recommend to about everybody in here that's doing the application thing, is work with foam for a while, because if you can get a foam latex piece to look like human skin and really have it look good, you're ahead of the game. Silicone transfers, all those type of things are 80% there. If you got a good flesh tone uh, match on the actor, you put it on, you got a good edge blend on the thing, then you're just doing detail stuff like freckles or veining and all that sort of stuff. It's doing all the work for you and it's fantastic for that. But if you can work with an opaque material, it's going to make you a better painter in the long run. Um, and sometimes you're not going to have the luxury of silicone on some stuff, you know. How many of you, how many of you have got any experience with foam latex? Just a, a handful, yeah. yeah. And I know, that, I mean, honestly, it's, if you have the ability to, you know, there's some places that, um, that run generic ones that you can just buy. Uh, just, you know, grab a couple of more, make a piece. It doesn't necessarily have to even be foam latex. It can be slip latex if yeah, you want. Yeah, slip latex is good. Yeah. And look, you know, a nose mm -hmm. or something like that, right in the middle of the face. Yeah. If you can make that look real, yeah. that's it, more impressive than a thousand horns. Yeah, and to me, the, uh, you know, doing a walker or zombie or blood and guts or even like fantasy stuff, you, you have the liberty to pretty much do whatever you want. There's no such thing as a real bad makeup because if you got a bad edge on a, you know, a wound or a walker, you can put blood on it or dirt, it's covered up, not a problem. If you're putting a nose on somebody and you're trying to get it to look real and pass inspection, you've got to be, it's a lot more exacting and a lot more challenging. It doesn't give you the fanfare and the, you know, the, the boldness and broadness of doing like the fantasy creatures or the blood and gut stuff, but I find that stuff a lot more challenging than doing the other stuff. And I do like doing the other stuff, don't get me wrong, but the, the, it's, I always say it's like turning the focus ring. You just literally, you're looking at something with that, but if you're doing something that's gotta be real, you gotta tighten that focus ring up real, real good, especially with today's mediums. Do you have a type of makeup, a particular genre that you really like doing? Well, I like doing character makeups. It's, um, 
it's uh, I find it challenging. I think it for me it's kind of rewarding and all that. And the other challenge for me is to try to you know come up with something that can be done in a reasonable amount of time when you're working on an actor. Um, if you're designing a makeup for somebody and it's you've you know it's a four-hour makeup and this person has to wear this for a number of days on production that's I kind of think you're not doing your job if it plays one or two times great give yourself a six eight hour makeup tag team it with a bunch of people and do it but you're doing yourself a disservice the actor a disservice and the production a disservice by over complicating and over building something you can still get something across with the same look and but it's up to your expertise and experience to say, I think I can get this so we can get it done within three or less. I mean, ideally, I'd I always like to aim for two or less. Um, just, uh, just a little personal challenge thing for me. But I, I just think your actor's going to be happier because they're not getting up at, you know, the ass crack of dawn and coming in and doing, you know, an hour of travel to, you know, to the, to the unit base and then another three hours in the chair and maybe some wardrobe stuff and then they start their day. Um, it can burn them out pretty fast. So talk to us a little bit about the difference between being a, a day player, makeup artist and makeup key. Well, make it's, I'll just separate it. If you're on a, on a show, you're, you're either going to be a staff uh, employee where you're on the crew and you're on the team more or less the whole time uh, or you're a day player the biggest advantage is you can bring your stuff in and set it up and it's there and you don't have to move it a whole lot if you're a day player you got to bring everything and it's and it's it's tough but it's kind of fun because you've always got something different going on each day you might be going in and doing a period piece where guess what you're going to be doing handlebar mustaches and sideburns for the next three days and then after that you're going to go to Star Trek and you're going to do you know Vulcans for another couple days so you have to learn how to pack your kit to have just about everything that you might need for that without bringing a ton of stuff um, and and the other the, the biggest perk one of the big perks about being a day player is you get to meet a lot of people and you get to see a lot of other artists that do that have other techniques or ways to do things and you're going to learn from those whether it's the right way or the wrong way you know you can look at somebody's work and just go oh, shit i'm not going to do that way that was a nightmare or just go wow that was a pretty good tip i might have to do that one again and again a lot of it especially when you're starting is going to be meeting people um people that you get along with people that would say oh we should have you know have randy come in on this one or susan or whatever that i can you know track my entire career on my first day in Los Angeles met that person did that one and it's just a spider web of you know contacts friends connections acquaintances that have all you know luckily said you know he's not only good looking but he does makeup as well <laughs> um, but not and we, uh, we yeah. put him on a basketball team yeah exactly so um, yeah so it's a lot of it has to do with that yeah, I mean, that's true. The, the things like crowd rooms and stuff, you know, sometimes people think, well, you want that's, you know, crowned on or something. It's like, no, that's the, that's the bullpen. That's where you learn stuff and you meet people, you rubbish. Yeah. And you never know who you're working with either. You work with someone yeah. who's really nice or you're nice to them or whatever, and suddenly you find out they're running the next job. Yeah. You don't know that. And it's a really good place. To, yeah. And also, too, when you're in that bullpen, um, everybody just know right out of the gate. You're not going to be in the main trailer. You're not going to be doing one through five on the call sheet. They're probably not going to be hobnobbing with 
Brad Pitt or whoever, um, you're going to be in the trenches with everybody else getting your skills together. And subsequently, there's probably going to be a key or a department head that might be watching what you're doing and going, okay, they, their, their stuff looks pretty good, stayed on all day, they weren't in the way all the time, um, weren't causing an issue, yeah. So, and then, you know, like, hey, you know what, we got another thing coming up and you might still be a day player, but you're one, maybe one of the first ones called on that one a little bit more. Next thing you know, you're on staff. So, um, and you guys are in a very unique and uh, uh, time because uh, the UK in general is exploding with work right now. There's tons coming in um, and, and it's good and bad. The, the, um, the good is it gives you guys some opportunities. The bad is that it gives you opportunities because now you're going to go in there and they're going to expect a certain level of skill that, you know, you have to deliver. Um, and it can be, it can be a lot of pressure. Um, and uh, the minute I just told a few people earlier, if you, if you if you've done a makeup and you think you did it perfect, you may as well quit, you know, because if you've obviously done, you've got re achieved perfection, go become an oncologist, you know. Instead, don't don't bother with this stuff. But all the good ones that I know are always looking at their work, saying, "Man, when I did the sculpture, I should have done." Poor texture would have been better this way, or maybe I could do a little bit more breakup because he started to get red as the day goes on, or you know the the cleanup took longer than I thought. So you're always trying to figure out little little ways to do that. I I do a lot of stuff with Samuel Jackson, and Sam can always see it. And he says, "Oh, you you, you clock's ticking, huh?" And I just because I'm looking at him the first application, I go, "Okay, I think I can do this and that." But maybe I don't have a poker face with him, but yeah, he spots it. You know, I, I tell students frequently that it's okay to not be satisfied with your work because as artists, we, we really shouldn't be. It doesn't mean we can't look at our work and think that, that's pretty good, but there's always something we can do to yeah. make it better. Yeah. More time, better materials, yeah. whatever it yeah. happens to be. And I will tell you this, every one of you is going to fuck up bad at and that's some okay. point. It's going to happen. And you're going to learn. You're going to have a mold that locks. You're going to have a, a prosthetic that's just fucking rolling off of the guy. It's going to happen. And, you know, I've, I've had times where I just was, you know, I was in tears in a basement going like, how in the fuck could I do this or whatever? It's going to happen. Don't let the same dog bite you twice. You know, it's just don't, don't repeat that thing. And I guarantee you, your, your mistakes are going to register more than your successes, which shouldn't really be the case. But you remember those, those screw-ups more than you remember, like, oh, man, I got a good at blending edge on that thing today. It, it, it was really good. It kind of glazes over you. But if all of a sudden you're like, I couldn't believe, you know, I did a blending edge right in the middle of an eyebrow, and now i got to deal with that all day. So, yeah, so, and again, you're going to do it. Just... Try not to let it happen too no, many right. times. Uh, it's so important, I think, to hear that because mm -hmm. uh, everyone will have their personal hell or something. Yeah. I believe that's me. I'm shit. I can't do it. It's yeah. yeah. It's, it's, but it's how you respond to it. What are you going to do about that? Now yeah. you know that you're. You know, there's one thing you won't do it wrong again. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're bad. You shouldn't exist. Yeah, it just no. means you did something wrong. Yeah. You're going to fix it. And the other one too is it's going to give you um, uh, knowledge later on when you see somebody maybe going down that path, and you can at least go, "Hey, look, just." Be careful about da 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 or whatever, um, and it gives you an arsenal to 
do something at, at the last minute. I, I was one of those, if you gave me a blood gag and somebody, would, I said, give me it right now. I'm like one of those basketball players. It's like, give me the ball, I can take the last shot. And it's because I've been doing it for a long time. And you know the problems that can happen, whether you've got a kink in the line where you're gonna have back pressure on the thing, blow it out. Did somebody not put any sort of connection on correctly on that thing? Is there anything blocking the line? Are they sitting on the bloodline? Has the blood been thinned? I mean, there's a million things that can happen but you just kind of have to, you know, only experience and time is going to give you those answers. You're not going to do it right out of the gate. Amazing. We talked to you a little bit about the supervision aspect of things, because obviously when people go to makeup school, they learn about techniques and how mm -hmm. to make things. But then when those things go on set, it's now a different world. You know, things can be, especially crowd stuff, where you're not yeah. in control, you've got a hundred things running around. And I will say there's some skills that are some, some things that you need to know that is not really addressed in a lot of schools and it has to do more with certain administrative things. One is your, your personal finances. You know, when you're working, it can be good money and it can run for a while, but then all of a sudden it's going to stop and you might be unemployed for a long time. So you have to kind of learn to save for a rainy day. Um, the other one that tends to be, um, that's just sort of a simple one, is over here in the UK and Europe, I know Brexit has changed some things on that, but you're going to be traveling to do work. You have to know what can you travel with, what can't you travel with, what's, what's hazardous. Can you carry an air, you can't carry a tank onto a plane with you that's, that's a compressed air tank on that thing. There's certain alcohols, acetones, you can't do it unless they're a certain size. You, where you're going, do, you, do they have the resources so you can do that stuff? So there's a lot of little administrative stuff. You need, how do you, how do you budget a production? How do you break down a script? Um, that, that seems to be taught in a lot of schools right now as well. Um, there's a lot of little administrative, not a little, but there are some major administrative things that you need to know if you're going to get up into that level. And the best thing that you can do when you're starting out is observe the keys or the department heads. Uh, in the States, the way that it kind of works is the department head or the HOD would usually sort of design the show and maybe handle all of the, like a couple of the main players and all that. And then the key or second will do some major day players, but they're also administrative, where they're keeping an eye on the inventory in the trailer. Okay, we need to get more puffs for this one. We're running low on you know, pallets. We need to do that. Have we arranged, has it, have we booked people for the next episode? Do we have that? Have we contacted people in, in case we have weather cover and we need to pull in different, different talent pool for that? There's a ton of stuff that is above and beyond the actual makeup application that is essential to your longevity in this. If you don't want to do that, ain't nothing wrong with that, you can be a day player and the administrative stuff that you have to do is just filling out paperwork. You know, your daily time cards and all that sort of stuff. You can lock it in at that simple. And you can go home and sleep at night. When you're a department head or a key or something like that, you go to sleep with what I call the scroll. The scroll is when you lay in bed at night and you're trying to sleep and that list of shit to do keeps scrolling over your eyelids the whole time. And you're just, it constantly, it just keeps you up at night. Oh yeah, I to, I'll, I'll even make my list of things that I have to do and I'll be in bed, lights off. I fall asleep just fine, but an hour or two later, my brain flips the switch on and say, did you think about this? Yep, mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, what about it's that? It's the burden that someone's, someone's got to do that. It might not be you, 
I'm not like that. I'm not built that way. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to be a shot monkey in a day player, but I know my limits because I can't do that. People like Barry Gower, they did that and then they moved on to supervising and running things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, God bless, because that means people like me get work so I can yeah. do that. So you, not everyone can do it. Yeah. But and again, there's some people that are. Can. Again, some people are very content to be, you know, shop monkeys, lab rats. Yeah, and you need your group of people. You can go stick that guy yeah. in that, and that's it. I know they're going to be yeah. fine or down. Some people thrive on the stress yeah. of being in charge. I'm an adrenaline junkie, so for me it works. But um, and the other thing too is that I always think, even as a as a, a lab worker, sometimes it's like you you you'd like to come to set because sometimes. Some lab people can get lazy if they're rushed on something and they'll go, it'll be fine, they can fix it on set. But then if you show them the problems that happen because of that issue on set, you know, don't add that, the blending edge, it'll be fine, it'll be okay. And then you realize, well, if it's a blending edge that's under the wig back here, that's great. But if it's running down the center of the cheek and you got a bad edge, somebody's going to get yelled at. Uh, bad in there for not, not doing that thing correctly. So if they have to go there and at least witness the issues with it, sometimes it registers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and I've heard of people that have made pieces badly and then blame the person applying it. And like, if you see a picture of the piece, you go, no, it's a, it's yeah, a on that piece. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you don't make pieces, you might not know that, you might believe what you're told. So it's yeah. good to know how things are made, even if... Yeah, you, I yeah, used to tell people you could repel off the edge of some of these things, you know? It's just like, I don't know. So, yeah. yeah, there are times when, when you're going to get pieces that were generically made and you got to put that forehead piece on, and mm -hmm. son of a bitch doesn't fit. But yeah. production mm -hmm. doesn't care. Yeah. They, they your, job, your job is yeah. to make that fit because they, your ADs breathing down your neck, and they mm -hmm. want the actor five minutes ago, yeah. and you're still fighting, fighting that yeah. edge. And the other thing too that you do have to speak up for every now and then is what he brought up is you got ADs breathing down your neck, which is kind of, it. It does happen all the time. Luckily, I've been in a position where I. I bark at them pretty good because how long does the makeup take? An hour and a half. Okay. So they come in and they said, hey, just checking to see how you're doing. Are we on time and all that stuff? And it's like, it tells me that this numbskull doesn't know math because it's like, we're 30 minutes into it. That tells you there's how much time left? One hour. So now you've taken away that time. So now it's going to be an hour and five minutes. If I give you an estimate for an hour and a half, you can come in at an hour 31 and start yelling at me, no problem. Now, if all of a sudden the actor decides they need to go to the bathroom or the phone call to make or a cigarette, you know, I usually just, I used to put my iPad on and have it on, uh, like on a timer. They get up and walk, pause. They go off and do their thing, they come back, start it back up again. And that way it's kind of idiot proof. So when they come in the trailer, they can look and say, oh, okay, he's got 40 minutes left. So, but you, you, you kind of have to speak up for yourself, you know. Um, you, you definitely have to speak up if you're in a situation where you feel that you're in an unsafe environment. Um, there are going to be times where you're saying, well, just, okay, go up on that scaffolding and touch up that stunt guy that's up there, and it's like, oh, hold on here now. This is not the case, you know. I'm sitting here with a raspy voice today because I thought the mask that I was wearing on set was probably going to be sufficient to stop the smoke, you know, and I'll have a raspy voice which, you know, will hang out with me for a few days. Um, but you do need to speak up on safety issues. And if somebody, you know, gives you a hard time about it and tells, you know, well, I don't want to create any waves or whatever, no, create waves, you know, it's, it's not worth it to... Uh, 
injure yourself or others for something that is being rushed or that, you know, just get on the boat, go out to that, touch up that person, come back. Where's the life preservers? It's like, it's just out there and back. No, you got to speak up for yourself on that. And, it, and, it's, and it's tough because I know when you're starting, you don't want to create waves or make any issues or whatever, or you'll be labeled as a, you know, wimp or whatever, but you, you, you gotta, you gotta do that. You gotta protect yourselves and the people around you. Not necessarily from a safety point of view, but um, I've been on, on films where like, you might have a crowd scene or something. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's going to be top level makeup, so you have like yeah. people close to camera at the best. Maybe <coughs> B characters and then the C characters, so the background people might be masks or you know, yeah. quick paint jobs. And then suddenly they're like, oh, we'll stick a steady cam in the back and we have people running around. Like, well, these guys were never meant to be seen close up. Yeah. So you know if they're going to see from behind a close-up, it's not going to look great, and that could look bad on you. So you would have to step in, and, or someone's going to say, uh, excuse me, I just need to point this out. And that can be a little nerve-wracking to... It can. I, I stepped in front of a camera once when we were doing Walking Dead. Um, there was a scene where we had a number of these walkers moving around, and part of the deal was they were, they're not supposed to be fast walkers. They're lumbering and all that stuff. Well, one was trying to be seen. And he was hauling ass around the front there. And Gail Ann Hurd, one of the producers, were there. And I walked right in front of the camera. And she, what are you doing? I said, you're never going to use that take. So I, I was able to do it. But, you know, you, yeah, sometimes you have to go. And you have to let the ADs know, look, if you're going to put a camera in a crowd or something like that, look, let me pull one of our heroes and put them up here. It's going to piss the background person up because they want to be on camera. And it's like, no, no, we're going to get you out of the way. So, um, or if anything, just tell your supervisors and say, look, there's a camera that's going deep back there. And those are just background makeups right now. They're stick on mustaches. They're not up for close up viewing or whatever and let them take care of it. Yeah. yeah. But that's the value of an on-set supervisor that you're going to be doing. There's a hierarchy, you just go up to the and grab them and say, hey. Yeah, just say, hold, hold on a second, let me get, you know, so-and-so over here to talk about this or look at it, you know. But, uh, yeah, you don't want to have the bad work in front. And then, this, then the HOD will look at the, you know, the rushes or whatever and say, what the hell is this? You know, so. Yeah, and then it's your job for not putting you out. Yeah. You should be paying attention to what they're doing, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and the option is not use that take or or reshoot it if, yeah. it's, if it's something crucial. Yeah, it's, it's a matter of, you know, if it's, yeah. it ain't cheap. I even, um, I worked on the first few seasons of Mad Men and was not, it wasn't makeup effects or anything. I was doing secretaries, just regular beauty makeup on secretaries. Our department head, uh, makeup artist named Debbie Zoller, very talented, and Debbie, Debbie um, has a little Bible there. Like, these are the colors we're using. These are absolutely no iridescence, none of these colors, because they weren't invented yet. So we had to do that. There's no eyeliner going on on these because it wasn't the fashion at the time. So we had the ability to tell the background, you know, if they said, can you give me a little eyeliner? It makes my eyes pop a little bit. It's like, no, it's not something that was part of the time or the whatever. Well, it looks better and all that. And I said, well, you're an actor, right? Yes. Well, the part you're playing doesn't require eyeliner. And if you go into a bathroom and try to sneak it on yourself, we will know and you will be asked to leave. And it did happen a lot because somebody would just go in there and have that. And Matt Weiner, the showrunner, would, could spot him a mile away. He could sit there and go, okay, see that girl in the purple tub? Yeah, get her out of there. And it, yeah, we could. Uh, we were given that much, that much power, you know. 
I remember that, something similar on Blade 2, you had all these Reapers and you had different, and there were people you could see three or four having signature moves. Uh -huh. So they could pick themselves out of the crowd. Sure. Sure. They're supposed yeah. to have that. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, no, you can't do that. No, no. You know, it's, uh, it's the overacting background will always be the one to, you know, get, uh, you know, I'll get back to camera right now, but then you'll see them head acting, you know, so don't want that. Fabulous. So we've got any questions, I guess we should throw out yeah. I, I was just going to say, where is the line between standing up for yourself and coming across as rude? How do you know how to approach that situation? But I didn't hear the second part. The how, how do you come across standing up for yourself rather than coming across as rude and disrespectful? Well, um, again, if, if, if safety is the issue, you're not being rude at all. Um, as far as like confronting a background performer and saying, look, this is what we're doing on you. Do not change it. It's your job to do that. It's not their job. Their job is to go in front of camera and perform their character. Um, and if they want to take it upon themselves to go away and alter something, they can then run the risk of being asked to leave. Um, if you are concerned about being rude to somebody or whatever, again, talk to your, you know, your, your next level boss, whether it's the key or the HOD, if they're around and says, look, this person is doing this, or, you know, they're creating a safety hazard or they're treating me, you know, poorly, you know, or, you know, being, uh, you know, inappropriate, uh, you know, be it language, physicality or whatever, you're perfectly within your rights to, to speak up on that. And also too, I say, if, if somebody says, well, you're making too much trouble, get rid of them. I wouldn't want to work with them anyway. You know, because they're they're the ones being rude. So it's easier to just say, well, "Fuck them." I'll go, I'll go play somewhere else. You know, and believe me, there's enough work out here that you can go play somewhere else. You, know? you had a question? Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, so in the industry, whether it's um, like a technical thing or whether it's like just straight in the industry, what's been would you say the greatest challenge that you face in like just everything? I say everything. I think. You mean as far as like technological advances or what? In, in terms of like, I guess, um, materials and things that you work with, but also like just if there's anything like in the industry that you've found particularly like challenging that you've like had to overcome. Well, um, it, yeah, the materials are changing all the time. And I think it really got ramped up with the introduction of uh, digital media. Um, it was a tough learning curve for some, even myself included, uh, to go from a film uh, format, which you could get away with some stuff, uh, to a format that is unforgiving. And I reference my comment about turning the focus ring. You have to get better, adopt, adapt, or die. You know, you have to move forward. Years ago, when people would edit film. It would be at a table this big with reels zipping across there and snipping that. Now all of a sudden they can, you know, you can do it on a digital format. And the ones that were saying, nope, it's never going to die and all that, it's, it's advancing. And I mean, I've worked with, you know, Quentin is, you know, a big advocate of film and he won't do anything else. And it's his medium and that's all well and good. I love film. I, I really do. But I also, too, am not foolish enough to go that it's going to make a comeback. It's not. To, for everybody that is starting out now, you can make films on your phone. 
I mean, that's the only piece of equipment you need, really. Um, when I was starting out, you had to have a movie, you know, a, a movie camera. You had to buy film. You had to process it. You had to edit it and all that stuff. So the opportunity to come up with, you know, uh, to be creative on that level has expanded big time. I think there's a minor um, detriment to that in that it is all available to you. So now you can use this filter or you can use this type of effect and they're establishing it for you rather than letting you figure out your vision and trying to figure out how to make that come off. And I can equate that to makeup as well. You know, I guess earlier what I'd said about the foam latex versus silicone. Silicone's easy. You know, if you get it on right and you start doing your airbrushing or your detail work on there, it can look fantastic. Um, foam latex takes some work, you know. Um, but, you know, it just uh, depends on your end game, you know. So, you've had a big journey through makeup. Mm -hmm. If you start off as someone starting that journey, one piece of advice that you'd give yourself now, what would that be? Patience. Mm, that's easy. I mean, I was luckily did have patience because I was from an era where it was insinitis was not not there. Um, a lot of people are impatient. It's a very immediate society, uh, immediate feedback, uh, like dislike, all that stuff. Um, patience is absolutely the one thing that you must have for this stuff. It's not going to happen overnight. I would add learn to have a thick skin much easier said than done because you will you will get a lot of rejection yeah mm -hmm. yeah absolutely you know but again that even falls into the patience category where yeah. it's like you got to wait for that moment to present itself and um and the other thing too that i um makeup can be a very physically demanding job um not just the getting up in hours and early but if you're on a location that dictates you climbing up and down hills or, you know, going through, you know, swampy areas or being on a mountain that's got snow in it or something like that. It can be very physically demanding. Um, and uh, some, some people are okay with that. Some people would rather do studio work and, and both are acceptable. But uh, the other thing is if you get a job where they say we're going to be working in the Mojave Desert for five months and you don't particularly like heat, you may want to consider whether you're going to take that job or not, you know. So, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Is this the market for um, gelatin pieces? Because I know it's latex silicone. But... No, yeah, no, I've, I've used gelatin on stuff. Um, uh, a couple of good things about it is you can, you know, you can run those kind of in a trailer quickly on your own, um, depending on how you seal them, because gelatin, won't melt kind of just on its own because the melting point depending on the formula is kind of well over like a hundred degrees what accelerates the melting and the issues on that is salt with the sweat so the combination of heat and salt on that thing causes the gelatin to start getting mushy and all that a lot of the ready-made gelatins gel effects and things like that have a lower melting point and it can it can be a disaster um, on certain things, but no gelatin's a perfectly a good one to use, you know, uh, in a in a con controlled environment. I know a lot of people that just use it to fill a mold and go right. That's how much silicone needs. Yeah. It's kind of a 
Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, you can do that. Um, but again, it's, it's, you know, whatever's right for the job, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and again, I've used gelatin for a number of pieces. I mean, if you're doing them on, you know, you can do them under somebody's eye. Um, you don't have to deal with blending the edges with, you know, alcohol or anything like that. You're pretty much using water to, to kind of break it down. Um, so, yeah, there's definite advantages to using gelatin. And I have encapsulated gelatin before. You could do that as well. That would help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you work on it's it's a good question. Um, I I don't I don't want to say that I had a, you know a lot of confidence, but I was kind of growing up, um, and I had some good feedback on stuff, so I did have some confidence going in on things. A lot of it has to do with uh, what you're comfortable with. And all that, and there's a lot of people that are very shy and very quiet about it. Um, I'm well aware that I've had a privilege on a certain level, and that you know you get into some issues where I'm a tall, white male, and those are acceptable things to a number of people in the past, and all that. It doesn't necessarily mean it right. It's right. I know that I did have that that privilege. Um, somebody instinctively will always, you know, they'll go to the taller person and just say, well, you know, well, we'll talk to him or whatever. doesn't make it right. But the confidence has got to come from within and your skill level and all that. And honestly, even if you are not the most confident person, maybe say you're working with somebody that's, you know, that, that may have a little bit better thing and say, by the way, you should talk to so-and-so about that and work and, and work on it. You know, it's a, it's a skill that you do need to have. You do need to have a bit of assertiveness on some things because um, sometimes you'll get an actor that'll say, well, I want to do this. And then you're like, oh man, this is... I had a situation, I was doing something on Kurt Russell for Death Proof. And we had a situation where he wanted to do this collodion scar on his cheek. And I was dead set against it because collodion pops and cracks and splits over the course of the day and all that. It looks kind of neat. But it was going to be near his eye, and I didn't want to do that as well. So he came in and was kind of doing this, and I, he said, look, I've been doing this for 50 years. I kind of know this. And I said, I've been doing this long enough, too. And I, look, give me a day. Let me run this thing. If this doesn't work for you, we'll, we'll do your collodion, and I'll chase it all day for you. So we did it, what I did, which was a, you know, a transfer piece, run under, under his eye into a beard line. Stayed on all day, no trouble, looked good. And today, Kurtz looked at me and just said, you know, you're right, this works better. So, but you also have to be prepared to, he says, I don't want to do it and, you know, get, get the hell out of there. So, but yeah, just work on your confidence. You know, it's, uh, uh, a lot of it has to do that, you know, you may not see some of these people again. And I took some acting classes early on as well. And there's a point where you take some of these freeing exercises where it's like, I don't care, you know? It's not, I'm not insulting anybody. What I say is what I'm saying. Nobody's being harmed by what I'm saying about it. So, yeah, speak up. Mm-hmm. And next time, say it louder. <laughs> you had a question. Speaking of louder. <laughs> <laughs> Work in 
Personally, um, I have not. I've sort of left the lab work to others. Um, I tend to be more involved in the onset stuff and the application of it, but I do know that, yeah, there is issues with it. Um, there's everything from inhibition to having to buy a new set of tools that you may have been using on a sulfur-based clay uh, that can, it's, it's hypersensitive. And yes, there's inhibition problems. Um, and I, unfortunately, I don't have the knowledge to tell you what to kind of look out for. If one says tin and one says platinum, don't let them play together. Yeah. You gotta ask Neil, he's probably more tuned in on that than me. I know he is. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, if you were a freelance worker and you got a job in a workshop, um, what kind of stuff would you actually, uh, uh, expect that workshop to provide um, as much as like materials and how much would you have to finance yourself? Usually if you're going to work at a shop, you will need to have a certain set of tools that you would come in with. So you say your molding tools, mold making tools, your sculpting tools, if you're going to do some painting, you should have an airbrush and some other bits right there. If you're doing hair work, you should probably have scissors, whatever. Uh, it's more like the expendable stuff that they're going to supply. So you don't have to come in with your paints. You don't have to come in with glues. You don't have to do anything like that. They're going to supply all of the, uh, the silicones, the alginates, the, the plasters, all that sort of stuff. That's something. If there's something that you're comfortable working with, you know, it doesn't hurt to have it around, but it's mainly, you're supposed to go into work with tools. And it's the same, same thing with makeup. You know, you're coming in with your tools, the trailer should be supplying everything from puffs, removers, foundations, all that stuff. Now we all go in there with pallets of stuff that we're comfortable with and we know how to use and as sort of industry standards, bring those. But if, you, if you're on a show long enough and you deplete it, you can certainly say, I need a replacement grunge pallet for whatever. How much time do we have left? Oh, okay. Ten minutes. Okay. okay. So, who are you envious of? Who's got a job that you've always wanted and they've worked on instead of you? Um, actually, there, there's a handful of them. Like, I, uh, you know, Kazu has got some great stuff. But Kazu's the Jimi Hendrix of makeup effect stuff. Everybody's kind of at this level and then Kazu is up here, he's got a third eye. Um, and he's a really, really great guy. And I love, I, that sort of work is the stuff that I would aspire to do. Like he did some stuff for Manhunter where he made people look like, you know, these serial killers like Manson and all that. It's out of this world. Uh, you know, and the stuff that was in Bombshell was amazing. Um, Mark Collier does some fantastic stuff. I mean, there's, you know, there's a number of, uh, Neil does great stuff. I was talking to him about something he did on Andy Circus on Longshot that really impressed me. Um, I used to admire the more like the big shop owners like Rick Baker and Botine and all that. And I do admire them, but I don't, I don't aspire to be a shop owner and have that sort of um, a life because honestly it's it's it there's a lot of finances involved with that stuff you know you may be making a lot of money on shows but when that's not working you still got to pay the overhead for that whole time and that was something that I kind of found out early on I said I'd rather be a freelancer and kind of kind of bounce around and deal with that sort of irregularity any other questions is there anything that you didn't really expect going into the industry when you started like that you found out now through Oh, something that just sort of snuck up on me once I was in? Um, off, 
the top of my head, nothing really, because I think when I came in, I was sort of expecting some sort of um, uh, chaos uh, that would go on, and it is indeed there. So uh, you always sort of uh, improvise to what what happens or what's presented to you. And yeah, you get curves thrown at you all the time in life, you know, and you just kind of deal with them. I tend to not get too worked up over a lot of them because you know stuff that's either out of my control or whatever you know when i get worked up over stuff you'll know it it's uh it can be pretty vocal but uh yeah usually it just kind of you know like a hockey goalie you know don't let it get past you yeah we had one, 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 one right over here yeah yeah you're in the yeah you you get oh you wait you wait for that um yeah it's just a bit more of a general question with like dealing with the hours that you work and how inconsistent sometimes can be in going to places and all that and like how you kind of deal with that in like your social life I guess and how your relationship with people can change I guess how to work all these crazy hours. I've never been sing I've never been married and I'm currently single, if that tells you <laughs> how it works. It's very difficult. Um and I usually kind of warn some people. It's like if you're with somebody and you want to get into this thing, they hopefully are understanding of it because it's very difficult to plan any sort of social life. Even when you're on a show, you know, they said, well, I made plans for Friday night. And it's like, well, I don't know when we're going to get done yet. You can plan stuff for me noon Saturday until noon Sunday. That's when I'm available. And then outside of that, I'm going to bed early on Sunday and I'm probably going to sleep in on Saturday morning. Um, that's one of those kind of, you know, going back to your question about the things that you really kind of don't know. And, it, and there have been plenty of relationships that have worked and so in your social life is okay. But I've met a ton of people all over the world that I've had, you know, I don't know as I would have traded that for, you know, uh, anything else. Um, Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a unique story, and I kind of like hearing that stuff. And I usually have a phrase where whoever goes to the grave with the most stories wins. So, yeah, start stacking them up. Yeah. Speaking of stories, yeah, uh, we were having a little chat yesterday with Joe Nazaro mm -hmm. um, on a project that he's working on, and came up in the conversation uh, a life cast that you were involved with uh, that somehow was. Dick Smith related oh, project. Um, I was doing uh, what was it? Death becomes her. Yes, yeah, that. And we, Dick was there, and I was in awe of him, and still am. And Tracy Ullman was coming in for Life Cast for a part that subsequently got taken out of the movie, and it was a very tight schedule, and that we had to get this this cast done and all that stuff. But Kevin Haney was running lead on it. Um, Kevin's nickname is Kevin Zaney. Kevin can, you know, get very particular about his things like the exact measurements of alginate back then and the temperature of the water and the length of the bandages and all that. And Kevin kept hounding me about this stuff. And I kind of was like, well, it's hotter now because she's going to be in here in 20 minutes and shouldn't dissipate by then. And I was doing that. And Dick was kind of like, I think the kid's, you think he's going to be okay. You know, just let it go. Um, and then we did the, did the life cast and went fine. And the mold maker that I was working with there is a guy named George Engel. And George decided, let's, because sometimes you can mix plasters and stones to get different things. You can add ultracal to hydrocal to get some things a little different. 
Well, we found out don't mix peach stone and UltraCal together. So we mixed this stuff. He did a brush up into the mold. We went to grab lunch. We came back and we looked at it and it was still kind of chalky. And uh, yeah, we took it out and luckily it didn't lose most of the detail. It was not a, good, not a real good cast. And Tracy was already on a plane coming back here. So um, we kind of, you know, futzed with it before Dick saw it and uh, we kind of passed it. But yeah, it was definitely a, I was one of those where I said earlier, you're gonna fuck up something. It wasn't me, it was George. But I was around and I would have gotten the brunt of it too. Yeah, a few things like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is, this is what you're saying is this a thing that yeah. make make your palms sweat. Yeah, and make you make other things pucker up. So, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it's how you respond to that. It's like in the moment, there's also you know the tears of the fear, and you feel yeah. like so stupid. But at the same I'll, time, I'll how do you respond again. to that? Yeah, yeah. Every time, but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Fix the best you can. Five minutes. Five minutes. Oh, yeah, no. Can any of you guys tell us any more about any time you've messed up? <laughs> uh, last week. <laughs> um, oh, nothing nothing yeah. specific. I, uh, this goes to my thing. I can't stand vinyl ball caps. Hate them. Um, I did something on Walking Dead where John Bernthal was supposed to have his head shaved for something that was happening down the road. So we said we just got one day we'll do this thing. And I had a latex cap lined up, and the guy I was working with. Um, well, let's just do it. It's going to be for a brief amount. And I finally got sick of him moaning about it. All right, fine, do it. We got a delay. It was hot. John was running around. This thing was splitting and cracking. It was an absolute nightmare. And I went into the trailer after that, and I threw every vinyl cap into the trash. I said, we're never using these fucking things again. We're using latex because it doesn't split and all that. And that was on a production, you know, and they kept going, Jake, it's starting to peel. Like, it's, it's not peeling up. It's splitting. It's cracking. You know, it's 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 a bust, you know, so they had to go in and do a bunch of digital fix up on the thing, which of course they didn't like. So yeah. And that one was that one went too long ago. That was maybe about six, seven years ago. So yeah. But uh, yeah, that was a pretty good fuck up. I think as long as you're planning on working in the business, you can expect to be making mistakes. You just wanna try not to make the same mistakes over and over again. You wanna make different mistakes. Yeah. So and that I, you get yeah. keep keep improving. And I will give you one little tip. If you do fuck up, don't say anything in front of the actor. Because <laughs> then they're going to go, what, 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 what are we just talking about? Just, you know, just kind of keep it to yourself and go talk to somebody else on the side. How the hell do we fix this? Yeah, yeah. don't do it with the actor because then they're going to be, their head's going to be spinning. So don't do that. Lie. So. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Thank you all. I think they're going to shoot us because we're done. All right. Hey, thanks guys for coming out. I'll see you guys later. I guess we should say thanks to Gorton Studio and everyone and, and the Prosthetics event for organizing the Jake Garber chat because it meant we got to have a fucking blast, which was awesome. Oh, yeah, and... and Thank you so much to them also for bringing me over for the for the event and to get me to down to Falmouth to teach in the, in Neil's master's program down there with uh, Brad Greenwood and all the folks in the in the master's program. 
I had a blast down there. Yeah, Brad's and nice, isn't he? I, I really to, like Brad. Yeah, Brad's he's a, he's a hell of a fella. Also, thanks to Bolton for taking so many pictures and organizing all the all the visual stuff because they set up the cameras and and everything and helped us out with the recording. So uh, thank you, Bolton, for that because yeah. you guys have been big supporters of us for a long time and, and helped us out. And, yeah, and then thank you for having us to Bolton after after the prosthetics event. Yeah, well, we recorded I mean, it, you know a couple. Of, it was a whirlwind two weeks man it was it was it was incredibly productive and i had a freaking blast it's been 12 years since i was there which blows my mind yeah well let's not leave it that long again and we time. we <laughs> packed a lot in in two weeks we certainly did i think one of the highlights was going to see uh going down to portsmouth and having a look at the the, <laughs> the historic dockyard where i managed to oh yeah myself banging dark. our heads on on low beams i did i managed to draw blood on the beam next to where uh nelson died so we can both say that we both we both took one for the team and uh on, on victory which is cool <laughs> yeah I've, I've still got a little bruise on the top of my head so yeah so that's it that's all i have to say really that was an awesome episode i really really enjoyed our time talking to jake and i really enjoyed editing that down and listening through it again do you remember we were going through it listen making notes and stuff and it was like a, yeah. an education just re-listening so yeah no it, there it's it sounded as fresh the second time through as it did the first time and you know it's it's information that doesn't get old yeah all right dude well, until next time, thanks very much for uh, making time. I know I messed you around with the times today because I completely forgot about the tree that we were picking up. No worries. Yeah, everything. you got you got, you got, got to do what you got to do. I'm off to the post office to, to drop off a package uh, for a, one of my COVID masks that I am sending off to a fellow in New York. Cool. And then I got to come back and cut some stencils on my Silhouette uh, Cameo Cutter. Yeah, very for cool. A, for a photo shoot I'm doing on on Monday. Oh yeah, um, you got that for women's right. rights. Cool. Yeah. So hey, busy got boy. Some, got some stencils to cut. Yep. Yep. We both are. It's it's nice because December is usually pretty slow. Oh, Donna must be home. <laughs> <laughs> Saying hi. That's awesome. All right, dude. Well, I will speak to you soon. Uh, probably with the, before the next week because we've got to get our next episode out. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, dude. Thanks very much, man. Good to speak to you. Likewise. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. You can get in touch through our Facebook page or email us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. Check the show notes for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media. Thanks for listening.